Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect Radio Show and Podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast informs, educates, and eliminates the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Charlotte. For our guest today, let's welcome Spencer Burlight and Brian Bakerman, co-founders of Rent the Backyard. Rent the Backyard builds and places studio apartments and homeowners' backyards. For more information, you can visit rentthebackyard.com. Again, rentthebackyard.com. Hello, Spencer and Brian. We're honored and excited to have you on our show today. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having us. We like to start off with, um, as we talked about before we uh, got on air, is uh, your early inspirations, if you will. We'll start with uh, Spencer, since I can see you through uh, our studio here. <laughs> is uh, What inspired you to start Rent the Backyard? Yeah, so I'd, I'd always been sort of a, a housing nerd, l- listening to all sorts of different <laughs> podcasts and uh, reading all sorts of different things on the, the topic. Uh-huh. And I, I think I hadn't really been to California until my teenage years. And when I when I arrived, it was it was always really interesting to me because like the the area was so flat, and at the same time there was such a housing crisis. So I, I guess like I had this really like early sort of interest in in housing and uh, like how much of an issue that was here. At the same time, I had this uh, sort of economic background. I studied like machine learning economics in college. And when I was sort of looking to move out here, we were thinking about uh, how can we align like homeowner and renter incentives because homeowners have so much extra land that's Mm -hmm. sort of underutilized. And at the same time, it's so, so expensive to rent here. Oh. Excellent, excellent. Brian, you know, early inspiration, whether it's even childhood, if you can, or, or you know, what made you guys kind of get together and, uh, and do this? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, I think it's my family moved out here a handful of years ago. And in moving out here, see how much they spent uh, on just kind of figuring out how to live in the, the Bay Area. And I, I think there are a lot of people who are not quite as fortunate and weren't able to, you know, find a great place to live. And 
you do just notice at the same time that there's just not enough places to live, but you have a lot of homeowners who have this extra land in their backyard. Mm. And so it just, at some point, it just dawns on you that there has to be some way to share space. And uh, the most obvious way, I think, is creating something in the backyard as opposed to sharing homes that people don't want to do. I know that my family was excited when they heard we were doing this, and <laughs> I don't think they're the kinds of people that would normally do Airbnb, maybe when they aren't in the home, mm-hmm. but they don't really want to share rooms, but they, they kind of like the idea of, oh, yeah, we don't really use our backyard. We'd be, we'd be into this. And kind of that little uh, anecdotal information made me comfortable really diving into this, at least on a personal level. Excellent. So how did you at least brainstorm, if you can go back as far as you know, when you guys first kind of broached the subject and said, what do you think of this? And you know, how did you kind of quantify the value even just to each other? Yeah, so I think housing is one of really going to be one of the defining uh, issues of like uh, our generation as young people. As we were, we sort of knew that we wanted to do something in the housing space, and we were spending a lot of time thinking about um, like specifically like the homeowner side of things because oftentimes people think a lot about renters, but when we think about like how things actually get done, it's it's because like all these different stakeholders can be aligned. So we were, we were talking to a lot of homeowners and we, at some point we were thinking about like different home equity sharing platforms. And then when, as we talked to people, we realized that a lot of people wanted to like use money to like renovate their homes and things like that. And uh, when we came across these accessory dwelling units, or as we call them backyard apartments, we got really excited. And what we do now is we provide like a no money down solution to let homeowners go and put one of these units in their backyard without putting a single dollar down. And then in exchange, we'll just split some of the rental income. So what we do is we help align homeowner and renters incentives. Homeowners are able to make uh, up to $12,000 in extra money each year. And uh, renters have a good quality place to live. Was that something that took a, a bit of time to work on? Like, how do you make it so equitable for everybody? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of this just came down to the, to the math, right? Like the, the idea okay. sounds good, but if you can't make it work, you know, if it costs us $2 million to put one of these units in someone's backyard, it's just not going to work for anyone. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for us, it was, we liked the concept. It seemed that homeowners would love the idea of getting extra rental income, that renters would really want to live here. But we really had to jump into the space and kind of see if it was mature enough to make sense. I think the industry we compare ourselves to sometimes is solar, where something like 10 or 20 years ago, putting solar panels on the roof just didn't make economic sense. And so in talking to all these different ADU providers, we really started to understand that it's a mature enough space such that it can make sense for us to put one of these units in the backyard, pay for it, and make it so that we win, homeowners win, and renters win. Yeah. So that's a triple win. Exactly, triple. Win. Yeah. So, so to get it that way, and I'm curious if if you look out ahead, is how uh, you know how was it initially perceived? Just your idea, when not just presenting amongst each other, but just to to prospective uh, uh, people that would entertain the idea of having another dwelling in their prop on their property. Yeah, I think people think it's um, really weird. Because it is weird, and I think people are really excited. <laughs> so we've gotten a lot of initial. It's uh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is right. Okay. Like you know, Airbnb was weird, right? It's just like yeah. sharing space and on a platform with people you don't know, and I think that kind of emboldened us to do this weird idea. And people have gotten really excited. I mean, there it's it's something that's I think new. 
There aren't a lot of companies that are even doing something even remotely similar. But a lot of people think it's weird and exciting. And I, I think we embrace the weird and we embrace that it's kind of different. But we're you know partnering with a bunch of great building and property managing partners to make sure that everything goes smoothly so that people can feel comfortable that even though this is kind of weird, it's not something that's too weird such that you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Is there anything that you guys can go back? We're going to go back again, as far back as you guys can recall that where something was weird and exciting that you may have done in your lives, not related to Rent the Backyard, but where this all kind of makes sense a little to you. Spencer, can you think of it? Yeah, I think I think I was always sort of a, a finance nerd, it's along with being a, a housing nerd, and I think Brian could probably say the same thing. We were always interested in like weird financial instruments. So when I was <laughs> even like ten or eleven, I was like doing all sorts of like stock market games and uh, like reading all sorts of things. Like like I've been a, sort of a devout reader of The Economist for for a decade now. So uh, uh, all sorts of other sort of things swirling in my brain there. I think my parents always really emboldened me to sort of like seek my own destiny as well, which uh, was was definitely really uh, encouraging and helpful there. And oh, I think great. made me accept more of the, the weirdness than I might otherwise have. Excellent. Spence or Brian. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess in terms of weirdness, it's the... Um, I, I guess in, in college decided uh, that our... our school organization chef was uh, was was leaving and uh, we were thinking about replacing our chef and I realized that it was kind of better for us that if we just ordered catering from all the fast food places around town and so I organized you know like 20 or 30 restaurants to just continually bring us catering from all those random fast food places that people eat as like a guilty pleasure and made it like an everyday thing and uh, oh boy did we gain weight but it was it was absolutely (laughs) worth it. Okay, so so doing this, what's uh, perceived as weird, there's much that we do nowadays that was perceived as weird, maybe even worse, oh, that yeah. is now mainstream. Have you thought of that as well? It's like, you know what, we might be weird now, but once it gets out of the weird phase, what do we do? Yeah, I, I think this is something that starts off a little bit weird, but when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right, so uh, we create this uh, this 300 square foot unit that goes in your backyard and like a space you otherwise aren't using, and um, it has all the amenities someone needs to live independently from the main home. So it has a, a little kitchen area, it has a, a bathroom and a shower and a sink, and it even has like a, a split between a living area and a, a living room and a bedroom. So um, like you can have a tenant that lives in your backyard and is able to sort of access the backyard through a side lot, so they don't need to have a, a key to your main home, and they, they have their space and you can have your space. So it's uh, in some ways almost a subdivision. But um, like some homeowners will want more of a community aspect, but for the ones that don't uh, want to be as um, sort of open to that idea or, or participate in that as much, like we have a way where we're able to effectively go and have you just sort of be able to, to collect a check each month from this. So I think it's something that when you think about it at first, it, it sounds weird, but over time it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. How about does it help increase the value of the existing property as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's one of our favorite parts of this as well. It's that, you know, you're earning rental income every single year as a homeowner, which is obviously great. But then when you decide to sell your home, you also get this huge benefit of having this thing that, you know, gets separately appraised from the home and adds value to the overall property. And uh, a lot of people are actually really excited, especially in the Bay Area, to find homes with one of these units because a lot of people are moving towards 
you know, moving their uh, mother and father-in-law mm-hmm. into those units, moving their sister, brother, cousin, you know, really multi-generational families, especially as things get more expensive. So on the open market, it can even make your uh, home more attractive than just a traditional single-family home because there's this added extra space in the backyard. So you get that added benefit upon a home sale of, wow, you know, this can actually make me more money independent of the mm-hmm. rental income you earned along the way. Yeah, especially the question for you and the economic facet of it is, can it also be factored into the actual purchase of a home to where there may be, you know, the, the prospective rental income generation of X amount based on this zip code and therefore you qualify for this type of mortgage type of thing? Yeah, I think that's definitely somewhere like in the early stages of this right now, appraisers are sort of just like these accessory units are are something that's relatively new to California. And there's all sorts of laws that are making them even easier as time goes on. But certainly as we as we go on and uh, lenders can appreciate the income stream and the stability that one of these units provides, we think that it'll definitely be able to to help different people afford a a larger home or have a lower interest payment on their mortgage or do all sorts mm-hmm. of other other good things like that. How about from a, uh, uh, were there any legislative challenges when you uh, initially, or even maybe as you speak, if, we, if you're at liberty to share? Yeah. So the, the legislation in California has been really exciting. So there's been a lot of um, recent laws that have come into the books. So there was a sort of a, a main law that in 2017 went and made these accessory dwelling units sort of legal across California by creating like this new legal cutout that goes and sets like a, a set of standards for them. In 2018, a non-discretionary review process was introduced. That means the the cities and like uh, neighbors have sort of limited ability to comment on their construction. And then four new bills were actually just sent to the governor's uh, desk as I sit here on uh, September 26th, 2019, uh, which we hope he'll uh, he'll sign, which should um, sort of decrease the amount of uh, time it takes to get a building permit to help people get up and running with one of these even faster, and then also to uh, go and reduce some of the the regulatory hurdles left over. So we're super excited about the the framework, and there's a lot of people that have done a, a really good job and are doing a lot of great work in the political space because they recognize how much this could do to help the housing uh, housing crisis here in the mm-hmm. Bay Area. In San Jose, they've taken it even further. So the the mayor uh, has gone and uh, introduced a new program where you, if you're building like a pre-approved design, uh, you can get a building permit in less than 90 minutes. So we're really excited to be working. Are you with kidding? Him yeah, we're, we're 90 minutes. Excited. Yeah, they have a new uh, pilot pro or a, a new long program lunch. where oh. if you can get an appointment slot, like they have different representatives from all sorts of different departments at the the building department, and you can go down and and sit with them and and talk about your site and, and get all the boxes checked really fast. So. That's terrific. Now, how about uh, cities, cities and counties? How and if they can benefit as well financially? So, in terms of cities, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to be giving more of these permits. And I think a lot of them are really kind of getting with the times on this. These are pretty easy to look over in terms of plan review. So it doesn't take that much time on their end. They do charge on a per hour basis that, you know, they're looking over the, the plan. So it shouldn't cost the city anything if they're pricing that properly. And then the added benefit, of course, is they get more people in their town, which means more tax revenue, 
which means, you know, a more vibrant community of everyone who can, you know, whether you can afford one of those big houses or whether you can just afford to rent in the backyard, you know, you bring in more people into the community. And so it makes sense from a financial standpoint and, of course, from a community standpoint, which I feel like every community should be, you know, into. And San Jose has been particularly amazing. Their mayor has made a huge push into the for these units because he understands, and I think other communities are starting to understand that, you know, this is this is the future. Mm-hmm. Even though they're just boxes, they're magical boxes that really do make a difference in, in communities. Yeah. Ma- like you said, magical boxes. Is there a, a showroom, so to speak, that you can say, here's time, the type of units that you could look at? Uh, or web, you know, I, I know on your website. We say your website again for yeah. our listeners if they're interested in going to it. Rentthebackyard.com. So there's two T's there. There's okay. two T's. Yeah. So for us, it's a little hard to do a showroom, right? Because uh, we'd have to send people to someone's backyard. Our building partner builds a bunch of these up in their factory up in Fairfield area. So if someone wants to make the trek, you know, I could always think about trying to organize that. Uh, they do have a show unit there. The great thing is there's a bunch of walkthrough videos of these units. Uh, the um, Our building partner has a bunch of great you know, site plans and pictures of a bunch of finished units. So can definitely share that with any homeowners that are, that are interested. But it's a little tough to do, you know, just a general showroom and make a permanent location for it. Yeah, um, terrific. What's the, you know, how are you currently initiating the conversation with prospective property owners? If you're, if you want to share it, or of course. Uh, um, so the easiest way that people get a hold of us is going on our website, filling out the contact form. This gives us the ability to really look into the home. We can do most of our checks on a home remotely. So make sure it's zoned properly. Make sure a unit can fit using the magic of Google Maps or other mapping services. And then we, you know, simply send an email. Hey, do you want to jump on a call? And we answer every single question that the homeowner has. And believe me, homeowners have a lot of great questions, and we love answering them. And then just send along any further information, any uh, plans, drawings that people need, go out to their site, do some measurements, and then can get right towards permitting. Excellent. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. You can be part of your neighborhood's greatest resource. Check out Linkages, that's L-I-N-K-A-G-E-S, Time Bank, all one word where you can give and receive help, share hobbies and interests, and learn new skills. Linkage's Time Bank is a community-based service exchange network supported by Palo Alto Medical Foundation, part of Sutter Health. Members earn hours by providing services and use those hours to receive services in return. For more information or to register for an orientation, visit linkages.org. We're talking today with Spencer and Brian, co-founders of Rent the Backyard. For more information, feel free to visit rentthebackyard.com. Again, rentthebackyard.com. The program itself, is there any model or any reference that you'd had to kind of at least start the company that you kind of looked a little, it may may not even be in the same space, but at least like, you know what, I kind of like how this industry is doing this. And I think if we somewhat model a little bit on this, we can, you know, kind of hit the ground running. Yeah, I think uh, the the industry that we kind of look at sometimes is is solar. Solar. Oh, that's right. Um, You did say solar. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think there are issues that people have with solar, but I I think in so many ways it's it's come super far in the uh, residential space in terms of being able to provide people 
power at cheaper than they could, you know, get it through their traditional power supplier, and make a difference in, you know, in the world. It's um, so it's it's one of the few instances where I feel like finance kind of has been able to help everyone sure. involved. And so I really like when you can find ways to financially benefit people by, uh, you know, constructing non-traditional financial products. And solar leasing is kind of what brought solar into the mainstream in the residential space. And we think we can do the same thing for housing with these non-traditional financial products that we, that we offer. Yeah. And uh, the space is pretty ready for that, which we're excited about. Now, literally, you can map, uh, say, a zip code, map the zip code and identify the perspective properties that you can place. Have you ever done that? I'm um, have you. I'm sure you have. But like, can you provide a number? Like, look, we've looked in this one specific zip code and we found that there's, I don't know, 500 opportunities for property owners to, to places. Yeah. So we've, we've looked at specific zip codes, but I think the most informative number is that the housing trust Silicon Valley estimates there's 120,000 uh, eligible sort of backyards in the city of San Jose alone. 120,000. Yes. Just in San Jose. So it's, it's really incredible at what level this, uh, this really could be implemented into, to help so many people across the uh, San Jose and the rest of the Bay Area. That's that's a large number. That's just San Jose. The the thing I'm thinking of is um, something that uh, I thought think it's really valuable is when you know, people had front lawns and most people no longer water their front lawns, so it's just brown or dirt mm-hmm. moles, uh, groundhog uh, come in there. Is the idea of putting a garden, a vegetable garden, in the front yard because it's most people have well more than enough space to actually do that. You said it's a value. So now, if you if that, that makes sense too, and that's not, I don't even think that's that weird just because people understand it. But to have a vegetable garden in your front yard, perceptively to the neighbors, might be a little uh, unusual at least at first. Do you see it along the same lines that at some point there may be a cultural shift? or a paradigm shift and where people go, oh yeah, there is an ADU, is that correct? Mm-hmm. An ADU in our in the backyard for our grandparents, our in-laws, our son may leave or may want to go to school or doesn't like, whatever happens, that it may become just common. Yeah, so this is something that we think is already happening. So from that okay. 2017 law, people have really begun to take advantage of the new laws. So 4,300 uh, applications were filed last year in the state of California, which... Um, isn't too many when you look at the, the whole state, but when you look at the number of individuals actually going out there and taking the time to file a permit, we're really, really excited. And that's been doubling and tripling from the years before and, and so on and so forth. So um, like the amount of people that are going and doing this on their own when they have to borrow over $100,000 against their home, when they need to go and they need to find and vet a builder on their own, and when they mm-hmm. need to sort of manage that construction process on their own, That's right. it's, it's incredible. Yeah. So uh, what we're trying to do is sort of reduce the required energy to, to get started with one of these units so sort of everyone can take advantage of this trend. So it sounds like you're really significantly reducing the cost of chaos. Exactly. So we, yeah. we, we think what we're doing is, is really, it's weird, but it's so obvious once you hear it <laughs> that it's just like, wow, I don't use my backyard. Who cares if there's someone there, especially if we can kind of partition off a little part for a tenant. Correct. I have to put no money down and I get this valuable thing and rental income. It, it just feels so obvious to homeowners when they hear it. I mean, just everyone just like, I love the idea. Oh my gosh. And I think it was, took us a while to get here and definitely through some you know, twists and turns to figure it out. But once we did, I think it just becomes obvious that, you know, this is something that 
could be really big in the Bay Area and could help a lot of people. Super. Charlotte, you have a question? Well, I want to ask about, you just mentioned, say, you know, 120,000 potential opportunities. At the same time, talk about, do people park the cars in the streets or in the backyard? Or if you, if we add 120,000 cars into the Bay Area for as commuters, or just say it's 60,000 new cars, I know that, that you know, Cargill over here on the Salt Flat in Redwood City and that whole development got shot down immediately because all of a sudden you couldn't just have 100,000 you know, cars pouring into 101 all at the same time. So talk about, like, some of the downsides and some of the pushbacks that you all gotten up until now. So there, there's a, so everybody's hearing both sides of, of what you all have been dealing with. Yeah, so I think parking is definitely something that we think a lot about. And uh, like when we when we need to build parking, we will. There are some specific California laws that say you don't necessarily need to build parking. And in a lot of the neighborhoods we visit, there's a whole lot of uh, sort of parking available on the streets. In terms of things like traffic or density, I believe there was another study that said you could build somewhere around 300,000 of these without increasing traffic or density. So I'm I'm not quite sure where that study was coming from, but that was from a, a reputable like NGO. 300,000. You could build something around there before increasing traffic or density because a lot of these people will live, presumably because a lot of these people live pretty close to their work. They might take mass transit. Like if we build these units close to like the Caltrain station or colleges, people don't necessarily need a car. So um, it seems like there's been a lot of research out there and uh, the state has relatively liberal requirements on when you need to build parking, probably backed up by those studies. Yeah. Now, do you purposefully... Obviously, you're here in California, but have you looked at other states just either for curiosity or prospective outreach? Yeah, I think uh, we're definitely excited about the idea of expansion. It's just in terms of thinking about where our business makes the most sense. It's it's one of those businesses where you need to have a lot of local operations. So we have to pick the city that makes the most sense and the area that makes the most sense. And the Bay Area just seems to have the most dire situation in terms of housing. And it's the place we think we can make the biggest impact the quickest, but Seattle, Portland, Austin, LA, all seem like they'd be on the roadmap once we kind of figure out exactly how we improve the housing situation here and can really repeat that playbook elsewhere. Yeah. You said the local operation. So it actually helps increase the uh, the economic base of local service people. Is that? It sounds like it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it absolutely does. I mean, um, especially at the scale we want to build this out at, it just, you know, definitely is going to increase the the workload of those who provide valuable services to putting these units in the backyard, which I think is going to, you know, be good for the economy and before you even consider the fact that it's great for homeowners and great for renters. Yeah, in in, uh, England uh, and other parts of Europe, what's common is uh, what they call um, MD, uh, well, that was the company, but it was uh, greenhouses. Mm-hmm. Or, and it's almost every house has, I forget what the word is that they're called. I love them too, but they're, they're glass, they're glass places and they have them in Ireland, England, it, but they're common and they're, they become actually one of the more favorite places of the house, yes. <laughs> even though, do you see that as well? If you experience that from testimonies where people go, you know what, I know it's back there, but boy, I, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be upset if we actually left the house and went and stayed in our, our new unit and then we can go ahead and lease the house. Yeah. So we, we definitely see people that are interested. So that's happened. That's just not my this. idea. Okay. Yeah. So this is called downsizing in place. Oh, so people who can it. go and, uh, I don't want to leave the neighborhood I've called home for the last 40 years, but um, when it's just uh, 
me and my spouse and we're getting a little bit older, we don't need a, a three bedroom home. So we can build one of these uh, accessory units and, and move into that and either rent the main home or like have our, our family move into the main home so we can have like a multi-generational house or, or something of that nature. So I, I think that's a, a, a becoming increasingly common. So Yeah. And how about this? Another one <laughs> is the the actual unit is more attractive than the actual house. <laughs> Has that happened? I mean, you could, in your own opinions, of course. I think in many cases that, that in can many? be true. <laughs> in many? Uh, so like when you think about like the way that the, the valley developed, I think a lot of the, the, the development was around sort of uh, like relatively generic homes. So when you think yes. about both the sort of the aesthetics of the existing home, as well as like the the building codes and the durability of the unit, I think we can sort of surpass on both the durability of the unit oh, because we're kidding? we're built to <laughs> higher building codes and we're we're sort of uh, providing this this brand new unit, and then also um, the aesthetic design is a little bit more in line with um, the the 2010s yeah. rather than the the 1960s or 70s. So even like the seismic integrity is even greater than probably a house they built in 1952 or something. Yeah. So we follow all of the current California building codes when we build these. So uh, uh, in terms of sort of requirements across the board, where as the building codes get stronger, we're building units that that, ex- that meet or exceed those, yeah. which uh, in, in many cases will be greater than those of, of homes built before. Yeah. We're talking with uh, Brian and Spencer of Rent the Backyard. You feel free to uh, go to their website at rentthebackyard.com. Again, that's rentthebackyard.com for uh, our listeners curious. Share with us also, I'm going to ask a question of Charlotte. Charlotte's originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and I had seen the homes there and said, Charlotte, why are the homes in Tulsa, Oklahoma, even the smaller homes, why do they look so, for lack of a better word, superior than a lot of the houses in, say, Silicon Valley? And Charlotte, share with us why, why that was. Because I think it was a great answer. Oh, I think if you even look across the whole of America, it always depends on what was the economy in any given, say, decade, and what was the, there was a roaring economy. Maybe like the Silicon Valley of the very first Silicon Valley may well have been Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the oil boom. Okay. We all think it's Texas and the spindle top, but come <laughs> to find out, Cushing, Oklahoma, to this day is still where the, the one of the biggest oil fields is, where all the pipelines come in and redistribute out. And so Tulsa was uh, even back in Indian Territory. It wasn't even a state yet. But the, there were, uh, it was a, a lot of money, and architects were brought in from even Scotland and Europe to build the residential housing. And so if you were speaking of, say, where are some of the best residential housing that's still stout and built with, you know, incredibly long-lasting materials with really great architects and architecture mm-hmm. behind it. That would be Tulsa, Oklahoma. It would be Kansas City. It also would be not Denver, Colorado, because Denver, Colorado was like uh, San Francisco, and it had a huge fire in the teens that just took out the whole town because everything was built out of wood back then. And so a lot of it has to do just historically the materials and the technology and who had you know the, the, the biggest roaring economy at any given, say, decade, if you will. Okay, so that's why you, and you, standards. You get standards, a lot of standards matter. A lot of homes in Silicon Valley that, as as you were saying, Spencer, that are okay. They're all right. I mean, obviously they're homes, but aesthetically they're rather boxy. And well, so it's because they're all they all. It was the it was the contract to Lockheed that you know caused Sunnyvale to need housing for all its workers. So it was a different kind of uh, industry and a different different kind of uh, economic 
base and, you know, salary base for whatever were like maybe big government contracts, if you will, in any given region throughout from the, you know, the 20s clear through to where are, where, where are we now? So it's, again, we'll go back to the backyard is the actual, the units themselves may be, uh, like you said, I think if you say m- many, are actually more attractive and up to date than the very house that may be worth one and a half million dollars. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we've been tiptoeing around a little bit. Uh, the, um, so tons We're tiptoeing of, it, yeah. Tons of beautiful homes that we visit. And uh, I, I think it's not the fact that the homes we're looking at are like, you know, bad homes. They're, I mean, they're beautiful. But the, um, the, the things that we put in the backyard, I mean, they, they literally are just tiny modern homes. It's that, I like you know, that. you okay. just kind of imagine a classic looking California home. And basically what we're building is just a little bit of a condensed version of that. And so it's just really hard to compare a home that was, you know, built in 1960 or 1950 to a home that's, you know, built to a similar style, but just, you know, now. Yeah. So I, I think it's more of just the fact that we build something that we're proud of as opposed to, you know, we're picking homes that aren't as, <laughs> as beautiful. Yeah. Now, also, you work with uh, manufacturers, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you, you don't have to share names or anything, but... How did you decide on them, and uh, you, know, it, you know, what criteria did you use to say the, these are the folks that we feel really confident that would put together a really nice home? Yeah, I, th- I think for us it was um, a long discovery process. It's that you really want to cast your net out wide, talk to anyone who will talk to you, and then really hone in on okay, who's actually experienced and who has provided a great product for customers. So for us, it's, well, you know, get on the phone with anyone, but then you can quickly kind of tell who's really built these and who's just kind of in the concept phase. And uh, the concept phase is exciting, but for us, we wanted experienced partners. So, you know, we're working with a partner that's built 180 plus of these in the Bay Area already. They're in with all of the local governments. They're kind of already leading the charge on a lot of these ADUs, and they see us as a great channel for them for customer acquisition. And for us, of course, we're just completely changing the way that people finance these units and are able to put these in the backyard. So it's, you know, anyone who doesn't want to put down six figures plus to build one of these units should come to rent the backyard, especially if you want something beautiful in your backyard that makes you money every month. Uh Uh-huh. And working with with these companies that do this, that is the criteria that you say, you know, you have to have... You've been, have to be doing this for a while. Yeah, we're really focused on yeah. providing a, a really consistent experience for our customers from a very, very experienced building partner that's done this over and over and over again so they know exactly what they can expect and exactly what they'll get out of the process. Yeah. How quickly or how? what's the time from when they someone reaches out to say, I'm interested in doing this for my property, how quickly from that point to where actually the unit is there? Is there a timeline? Of course. So for us, the the initial process is pretty fast. We're trying to get it shorter and shorter. Should be a handful of weeks to do everything from the phone call to the site visit to the final paperwork. From there, city can take either take their time depending on the city, or if you're in a place like San Jose or the other surrounding friendly jurisdictions, it can be a matter of a week. Uh, well, if you get an appointment, one week. Well, if you get an appointment oh, in San Jose, okay. it's, oh, yeah. you know, 90 minutes. And it might take a week yeah, to get that, that 90 appointment. Minutes you know, we'll, That's crazy. We'll, we'll wait a little <laughs> bit there. But, uh, and then about, we like to allot around three months for the building process. Most of it's not in the backyard. Most of it's elsewhere with a few little projects in the backyard, like putting in a foundation or mm. connecting utilities. The actual unit, when brought on site, can take a matter of 
you know, a few hours to a few days to assemble, which is really cool to see just kind of it all come together. So most of it's not loud work in the backyard, but we like to set reasonable expectations. Yeah. What was it like the very first unit that you placed there? Can you describe the feeling? Yeah. So we're, we're going through our first set of units at the moment. The, uh, so we're like getting through the permitting process. We've come and visit, visited our building partner assembling these in, in the factory. And it's really cool to see just the lumber just kind of coming together and, you know, like the just going from just individual pieces to a full built out, fleshed out home in a factory that they then kind of disassemble and then bring onto site, which is, which is really exciting. And it's kind of amazing to see this revolution in the building space from let's build everything on site to, whoa, 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 why don't we build it in a controlled environment and then bring it on site? It's a lot faster. It can actually sometimes be inspected off site. Uh, if you can oh, just really, oh. if you don't have to disassemble it and can kind of bring it on as a whole piece, you can just have it inspected. You in drop the it in with a crane. That's one of the options. So sometimes you take down the back fence and kind of roll it in. Other times you might have a crane that can just sort of lift it into place. So uh, the, the third option that Brian mentioned is called flat packing, where you kind of take it apart and then it comes together like a piece of IKEA furniture in the backyard. I think you guys are precocious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, how uh, again, how did you come up with the name Rent the Backyard? How did we come up with it? It was uh, definitely in a car, on a long drive. We, yeah. we visit a lot of customers at their, uh, at their home so we can sort of build those relationships and, and talk to people and meet them. I think that we, uh, a lot of startups have, have names that are a little bit uh, harder to understand or, or like sort of remember. <laughs> And I think we wanted to, to do something with renting and something with backyards. So it was just the, the middle word. Yeah. Just the middle. Now, how about how about the uh, your iconic logo? Is it looks like a puppy or a dog? Or? Yeah. I don't think we have an amazing story behind this. Okay. I, I, I think uh, for us, so I'll share the real story. Yeah. It's the, uh, <laughs> so we had a friend's dog, and the dog's name was, was Pippin. And it was an adorable dog. And we were just like, you know... It kind of relates to backyards, uh, yeah. dogs, backyards. It kind of reminds you, and most startups have nonsensical logos anyway. <laughs> Let's just make an adorable dog logo. And we actually have two versions. We have one that's on our, we're, we're wearing, the, wearing the shirts right now, but one that's, you know, a circle with a little cute dog kind of on the side and then another uh, bigger dog, full dog. And uh, we just had to do it. I mean, we just had to. <laughs> it brings us joy every day. And, uh, you know, Pippin I don't made care you do it. <laughs> Pippin yeah. made us do it. <laughs> I think it makes people uh, feel more comfortable with the brand as well. So we're trying to create a really um, there's a happy, warmth to it. Warmth. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There definitely is a warmth to it. So have you ever, um, when you're in, a, you talk with a, a property owner and they've asked for you to to come and visit them, talk to them how how this can work. Do you ever go next door or talk to any of the neighbors and say this is what they're going to do or this is what they're doing? What's your curiosity? So for us, so usually there is a non-discretionary r- review in that you don't have to talk to, to neighbors. That's kind of according to the, the state laws and most of the local laws as well. You know, we ask that if anyone has a neighbor that might have an issue with it, that they, you know, talk to their neighbor. Because, you know, you probably do want this to be more of a community thing. But, you know, if you if you don't, you don't have to talk to your neighbor because it's it's really none of their business, you know, what you put in your backyard. And I'm, I'm really glad that we've put that into, into law in California and made it so that you can 
choose what you do with your backyard, what you do with your home, and don't need to you know worry about that nosy neighbor. Yeah, yeah. The reaction we get more often is people will see us in our, our shirts, uh, yeah. like walking back to the car and ask us what we're what we're doing and <laughs> be really excited about what we're doing. So I, I think the reaction's uh, kind of the opposite of the oh, like, is this, like, sort of smaller unit that I can't even see going to be put in my neighbor's backyard? Yeah. How about, uh, have you seen really interesting, like, landscapes or, or hardscapes to the... Yeah, no, we've definitely seen some interesting landscapes. One of my... So, some definitely, like, really... So, some ones that, you know, just kind of people are like, yeah, this is my backyard, I don't do much with it, which is completely fine. And then others who, you know, have beautiful trees and swing sets and, like, a vegetable garden and, like, a little chicken farm area when they want to have chickens there and it's just like wow you really make good use of your backyard and they're just like oh yeah and I have this little spot over here I don't know what to do with you know would love to put a unit there and a renter I think I mean would love to walk into this little serene area oh, yes. that's be right beyond the busy street it's super quiet I, you know we're really excited about this project that hopefully we're you know uh, able to finish permitting soon and I, I think renters are going to love it and be like really wowed yeah. Again, we'll go back to there's a, a high likelihood that the actual unit may surpass the actual property in as far as the aesthetic appeal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think for, for renters, I and mean, we talk about the homeowner a lot, it's that uh, you don't have to live in a, in a busy apartment building where you don't have any of your space True, to call your yeah. own. Paying you know, for amenities you don't use. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, the... the, the uh, the swimming pool that's overcrowded if you live in one of those luxury apartments or the gym that has, you know, two weights or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, you can, uh, have you had any units where they're, they're, they serve also as like a pool house? I think there's a lot of um, really great uses for these units. I think the ones where, like some people will install units as, as pool houses, but uh, the ones we're targeting uh, are a little bit more of a, a guest house feel. So they go and, uh, uh, we don't have any that are immediately adjacent to a pool, but there are it's some. It's going to happen. Yeah, Someone's going to do that. And again, your walkway into your 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 place, it's going to be gorgeous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, you really live here for only this amount in this area? Like, how did you score that? Well, mm -hmm. here's how you do that. And, and so far as like the cities, other than San Jose, if you, you've gone into like San Francisco, can you share with the experience of working within uh, a major city like uh, not just San Jose, but San Francisco? Yeah. I mean, every city varies a little bit. I know that a lot of people have had a little bit of difficulty working with a place like San Francisco just because, you know, these laws are passed at the state level and San Francisco has a really complicated planning and building department and just getting in accordance with all those new codes can be difficult. There are a bunch of great laws that are coming through that are kind of really uh, making cities move a little faster on these units to give a first review within a, a hand, within two months. So at least look at the plans, which is, which is going to be great. And so we're excited about the uptake in San Francisco. Uh, it's been a little difficult to do there now, even though we've actually had a surprising amount of outreach of people with eligible is backyards. But I think in the future, it's going to be possible and really exciting because I think San Francisco in particular is one of those cities that really needs this. Yeah. Charlotte, you're going to... Well, so now you guys were... Maybe I misread or maybe I wasn't... You, you guys were part of Y Combinator? Yes. So tell us how that uh, came about and how has that that's contributed to your success? Because obviously you guys are, are already succeeding wildly from what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think Y Combinator has been really great for us because um, so we we applied and we were really playing around with the housing space and weren't, I think, exactly sure what we were going to do. We were really closing in on this idea, I think, but, you know, really just wanted to figure it out. And I I think Y Combinator was kind of the the, the thing that was our our guiding force. And, you know, we'd bounce ideas off these really experienced partners who would tell us, Hey, that's great, or no, that's it's really, really bad. Try again, <laughs> and they're you know, of course, really nice about it. And we, we finally kind of landed on what we we're doing and helped along the way. And I, I think they're really great mentors who can help you think about a business. And uh, we were running it mostly day to day, but anytime we had issues, you just book an appointment. They tell you what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. You talk about it and improve your business, which I think is you know really great thing and everyone should if you're into startups and you want to join an accelerator Y Combinator I think is the one to do yeah so much of the process is iteration for for all startups but especially our own so being able to sort of be told like oh what do your users think and and going and spending time with with people and homeowners talking about uh, what their needs are and trying to build the best product for them has been a has been a really uh, big part of that as well so yeah I noticed um, both of you say the word relationships a lot is it just part, built into your business model or it, 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 it's required in effect? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, there's both the financial incentive to build these relationships, but also the fact that, you know, we wanted to build a business that really, you know, affects people's lives and benefits kind of everyone involved. I think there are a lot of businesses you can come up with that feel like they benefit some and hurt others. And we were mostly interested in benefiting all stakeholders. So for us, it's kind of natural to form these relationships with, with homeowners and, of course, with people who are excited about the business. And then, you know, obviously doing that's good for business as well, which is always just a, a nice bonus. Yeah. 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 It, it, reintroduce your, yourselves again on our show. Usually I do that, but I would like to hear. Yeah. So I'm, I'm Spencer. I'm one of the co-founders of Rent the Backyard. Excellent. Yeah, and I'm Brian, also one of the co-founders of Rent the Backyard. Yes, and for our audience, feel free to uh, visit rentthebackyard.com. Again, it is rentthebackyard.com. You know, for our audience, I also want to tell you what you can do while you're renting the backyard. You can <laughs> go to the San Francisco Zoo and Gardens, which is a 100-acre park, a 100-acre classroom, and a 100-acre conservation resource center. Don't anybody forget about the SF Zoo and Gardens. You're invited to see more than a 1,000 exotic, endangered, and rescued animals. Yes, that is 1,000. San Francisco residents, seniors, and active and retired military receive discounts on admission, and the children, three years and younger, are free. The zoo is open every single day of the year. For more information, visit sfzoo.org, and that's San Francisco Zoo and Gardens. It's a jungle out there. <laughs> this is the Modern Architect at KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Spencer and Brian, you know, what other... Uh, if there was, I'm sure there were challenges. If you're at liberty to share with us some of the challenge, at least initially, when you began. Yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, just working with a bunch of great partners. It's always, you know, a, a logistical juggling act. And um, I think what we're really excited about is we found great partners that can kind of handle the influx of people that we give them and are really good about communicating with us. And uh, I think our challenge was could we find those people that could help? And I think the resounding answer so far has been has been yes, which is great because had a, a lot of customer interests and uh, we, we need help from our partners to be able to handle that customer interest. And um, I think we've been able to do that really effectively. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like also how you call it tiny modern homes. Is how do you call it? I know they're ADU units classified, or ex- is it accessory dwelling units? Mm-hmm. Um, That's the the term state use. Yeah. We like uh, backyard apartments. Backyard apartments. Okay. Or uh, guest homes or, or something like that. But we think backyard and then studio apartments uh, are kind of the, the most descriptive uh, three three-word answer we've been able to come up with. Okay, so backyard studio apartments. So at some point that's going to become as regular as like, do you have a garden a in the back? It's a PSA. You have a PSA, yeah. You do. No, a studio in your backyard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm in a studio. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So how is it evolving? Is it like almost on a month-to-month basis since legislation is making it much easier? Is it really changed much from month-to-month, your processes? Yeah, I think we're constantly kind of updating what we're doing based on what homeowners are saying. We we think that no product is completely finished at any point and that you should always be listening to your customers. And even though you're building this big thing, I think the same principles apply to this as it would to, you know, if you're making a website. So I, I think for us, we've been really updating kind of what we're offering and trying to improve the amenities, trying to improve our process, improve communication for homeowners and as the laws get easier, just permitting is easier, which is always just a, a great bonus for us. Yeah. It sounds like you you guys have taken on a lot of the risk of it. Is it true or my, my perception? Yeah, that's the idea. So okay. we, we make it so the homeowner just kind of signs on the dotted line and we take care of everything else until they start receiving like a direct deposit with their share of the rent. So we do the, the permitting, we do the building, and we even do the ongoing uh, property management. So we sort of take care of everything and even find you the tenant. So so is this was this by design from the inception? Yes. That you wanted to take that... <laughs> really uh, take on all that risk. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know any other word to say, but... Yeah, and I think this is what's really good about, you know, businesses that benefit a lot of individuals. You know, the idea of an insurance company, for example, even though insurance companies, you know, some sometimes can do bad things, is, is really good. It de-risks the whole process by bringing everyone into a giant pool mm. such that, you know, if one person falls sick, then the rest kind of are paying towards that. And so we do a similar idea in that on individual home, there might be, you know, some issues that we run into where it's not as profitable as we'd like it to be. Mm. Overall, we make money. And, uh, you know, of course, the homeowner isn't uh, taking on any of that risk because we're taking on that risk for them. Uh-huh. Charlotte, you had a, like you're stewing with a question. Well, I think you all could uh, go sell yourselves to Elon Musk to be selling <laughs> forward housing for colonizing Mars. <laughs> it's no different than when, when Richard Branson <laughs> sold tickets to, you know, have a uh, on, on galactic travel. I mean, let's see. Yeah, gla- air, air galactic, galactic, virgin galactic. Virgin galactic. Or yeah. yeah, he was that, selling yeah. forward tickets to actually just do a, like a flight to Australia. It's still there. It's still active. It's still happening. But anyway, I think... Um, yeah, you guys are like George Jetson ready to go. <laughs> George Jetson. <laughs> I'm very impressed. Yeah, so this is all by design, you know, to be doing what you're you're doing. Do you guys ever turn it off or can you? Like this mode of your company, the service you provide, is there anything? Yeah, can you can you, you haven't missed a question yet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess for us it's um, you know, we're we're always kind of in the company building mode and I think it's been great to sometimes just go back to my family's house and have dinners with them and uh, really try to 
turn off the whole rent the backyard for you know even just a few minutes, and they'll call us out. Hey, you can't talk about the startup at the at the dinner table. And <laughs> do um, they really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they like messing with us. But uh, it's it's great to just turn that mode off for a few minutes, and then we're really ready to get back into into working and really kind of uh, making this this vision a, a reality. Yeah, have you ever thought of the? Um I'm sure you have, but I just don't know at what level. The human connection that you're helping facilitate by having... uh, Yeah, I I think there's a lot of great community aspects of of what we're doing. I think um, there are some homeowners that uh, aren't necessarily as interested in that, but there are a lot of homeowners that are interested in in putting their their friend into the unit or or helping someone that's a a little less uh, sort of stable living here in the Bay Area. And I, I think that will be a big, big component for a lot of homeowners. But at the same time, uh, we don't really want to, we don't afford, we think communities sort of emerge naturally and will help facilitate those as they come. But we don't want to sort of make anyone do anything or participate in any community they don't want to be a, a really active part of. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm thinking particularly of uh, for families, you know, who, who want another their family member that they would have to, you know, put into a place that would be thousands and thousands of dollars, whereas you can... It sounds like you could significantly minimize that by having them close to you. You still have that inter- interaction with them. You still get to engage with them on a consistent basis and their care uh, costs can go down because you can have someone come and take care of that. Have, have you experienced that as well? Yeah, people are excited about the idea as yeah. well of, you know, like you said, bringing in family members and um, the way that we handle that is what we split the rent 50-50 with the homeowner and uh, if they want, they can give a discount to their family member just out of their share. So, you know, as long as, so your family member gets a cheaper place to live and you get to be close to your family member. And of course, you're still getting this valuable thing in your backyard if you ever decide to sell your home. So uh, that's that's another great channel that we see for, you know, homeowners. And uh, we're really excited for more homeowners to take up that option of our agreement as well. Yeah. Can you share with us any people that have shared their experience? Yeah. So I, I in thinking about one family... Uh, well, I guess two of my, my, my some of my favorite customers, uh, not that I have favorites, <laughs> but there's one that uh, they're, they're pretty well off. They live in the San Jose area. They have a beautiful home that they relatively recently bought. And um, they're really excited to just be able to help the community with this. So they, you know, they're happy to take their half mostly to kind of be able to help the community further. But they're really just excited about getting someone in their backyard who could really benefit from a slightly cheaper place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, another homeowner who's in the San, just outside of San Francisco, they're really excited about retiring, but they need just that little bit of extra income to make that leap for them. And so they're really excited about Rent the Backyard because you know they can make a little bit extra money every month and uh, that's the difference for them having to work another handful of years or being able to sit back and enjoy their retirement after, you know, helping people for a number of years in their current job. Yeah. We see stories like the second one all the time. So there are a whole lot of people that bought their home back in 1970 or something like that for less than $100,000. Now the home's worth over a million dollars. But um, the only income they see um, when they retire is, is social security. So being able to uh, as sort of their homes appreciated and the cost of living is appreciated, they've become more wealthy on paper, but they don't really have any 
uh, they don't have necessarily like the cash at their disposal to enable them to remain in their neighborhood. So there's a whole lot of people that we're helping like sort of remain in the neighborhood they've called home for the last 40 years and to live a more comfortable and better life with, yeah. that's more stable. Excellent. Is there anything that we may not have, uh, you know, covered or I may not have asked that you'd like to share with your audience? No, I think we covered most of the thing. Do you have anything, Spencer? Yeah, I don't think anything more from uh, from me. I guess our, our website is uh, renttheBackyard.com if you'd like to, to give us a visit. We also have an email on that site, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you if you might be interested in what we're doing. Excellent. Do sure, architects sure. get involved in your in your designs of your of your housing? Yeah. So um, we're using a lot of kind of the designs that our building partners have, which they're constantly iterating on. We are speaking with a, a lot of architects about designing more custom-looking units and um, uh, really working towards m- even more sustainability. Uh, so we're really excited about things like low-impact foundations for these because, you know, right now you have to lay a foundation and that takes a few weeks and it's pretty expensive. And if we can move towards just foundations where you, one that we think is really cool is you j- basically giant screws that you screw into the ground and then put a, uh, a little... Um, like frame on top and then put the unit on top of that. Uh, wow. That can be a matter of a few hours and oh, wow. uh, yeah. getting that through um, the, the state level right now. I know there are a handful of people doing that, but once they do, it's uh, it's going to make the process faster and cheaper and able to help us scale. Yeah, it sounds like it. So, so even two, three years from now, it really, you may be able to, I don't know if you have a goal in mind to say, let's cut this time in half if, if, if that's, you know, what you're after. Well, so the last question, the obvious that you know covered is like, what's your growth plan? Would you like franchise this across America? Yeah, I think um, we've actually had people reach out about the idea of, of franchising. I think for us, it's really important for us to control the process. We want to make sure that we're providing a consistent homeowner experience. But for us, it's really in breaking into a new market. It's um, we, we want to get to a point where we can ship our units from kind of a central factory or a handful of factories to local contractors who install these units after they've been pre-vetted. So uh, thinking about expansion, I don't think we'd necessarily franchise it, but certainly finding local partners who you know can mutually benefit from installing these backyard units is, is how we expand to other cities. Excellent. Spencer and, and Brian, it's been an honor and pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, we Thank hope you. you guys think uh, we'd love to keep uh, apprised of your progress. We hope you consider coming back again soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guests today have been Spencer and Brian, co-founders of Rent the Backyard. Rent the Backyard builds and places studio apartments in homeowners' backyards. For more information, feel free to visit rentthebackyard.com. Again, rentthebackyard.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at KZSU Stanford University Studios in Stanford, California, and on location. Today, the recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Hyagi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews with an S at kzsu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for the modern architect.